Welcome to Be Dead Source, your home for I can see the music. My name's Nathan, your most straight edge host. <laughs> My name is Andy, your dopest host. And I'm Pat, your students for sensible drug policy vice president host. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome, welcome. We have a topic this week, but let's go ahead, as always, and tell everybody about our week. How are you guys doing? Good. I had something very interesting happen to me the other day. So I was leaving uh, Sheets, where I very often go for food after work, and oh, yeah. this guy walks up to me on my way outside of the Sheets, and he has this gigantic pit bull. I'm talking like easily 150 pound pit bull. Its head nice. was like. I don't know, maybe 10 inches wide or something. Just like a ginormous animal. No leash. And he walks up to me and he asks, um, would I watch his pit bull while he went into the sheets? And he's like, she's really good. She's really well behaved. And (laughs) I love puppies. Kind of cowardly, but I said, um, you know, actually, I got to get going. I got to go. First of all, I'm not trying to die today. (laughs) Dude, pits are awesome. Well, second of all, I so look exactly about- like a male person because I am. <laughs> and, and and third, okay. like you really should have a leash. <laughs> you're afraid that the pit bull is going to stereotype you. Yeah. Well, you're you're afraid of pit bull discrimination. <laughs> pit discrimination. I I look and smell and act like a male person because I literally am a male person. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's not that I don't like dogs. It's just that I I ha- see no reason why you have your dog there without a leash. Well, and I I have no interest in empowering you to to help do that. So maybe that was a little cowardly, but it was the weirdest thing that happened to me in no, a long time. And presumably, did that guy like have a car? Because there's a place you could put your dog while you go inside. It's your car. No, he must have. He must have walked there. Like maybe he was just taking them for a walk and decided to get, or maybe his lighter died and he needed to go get a new lighter or something. But he. One well, of the things is, I think pit bulls get a bad rap for like a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, pit bulls the, are here's great. the thing: pit bulls they're they're not great and they're not terrible. They are like tofu. They take on the flavor of whatever owner they okay, have. But st- so if you have a terrible owner, you're gonna have a terrible pit bull. And I think you may statistically made... they are like the vast majority of dog bites and attacks. That's I'm definitely mainly... gonna do a fact check on that. So Oh, by a wide margin. <laughs> the the thing with and, and kind of the same goes for like Dobermans, most dogs are not like super aggressive. There are definitely some aggressive breeds, but a lot of the dogs that you typically think of as those hyper aggressive dogs are actually just hyper trainable dogs. With well, very strong jaws. The other interesting thing about the dogs that we think are badasses. So you mentioned Dobermans, Rottweilers are another one, Pitbulls mm. are another one. Uh, if you look at when those dogs were most popular among people who wanted a dog that was a badass, that they wanted a, a trainable attack dog for their house, it had to do with rap videos. And what dogs were appearing in rap videos at the time that those dogs became popular. And when the sort of like old school version of those like rap videos ended up stop being popular, 
was when Pitbulls were in Snoop and Dr. Dre's videos. And so that's that's sort of like the last the last bastion of when that happened. So like Pitbulls have remained sort of badass amongst people in their heads. I'm sure the dog would have, would have been very sweet, and I'm I'm sure that it would have been fine if yeah. I had watched after this dude's dog. But it was I was not feeling it, and I I didn't feel like he was being responsible by having a dog with no leash and not supervised while he goes into into the sheets. No, you did you you absolutely did the right thing because you don't know that guy. If that guy was an asshole, his dog was so, going to be an asshole. I gotta, I gotta. You just ask, don't know, though, Nathan. Maybe good for a fact check. Have there been, or maybe you know already? Have there been studies on why, on if that is a causational relationship, or is this a case of post hoc ergo proctor hoc to show off? Can my you Latin. can you explain that Latin real quick? So. Uh, yeah, post hoc ergo proctor hoc means after, therefore, because. Um, the the premise or, or the idea being, is this a case of correlation without, uh, or that is to say, there's a correlation, but is there actually a causation or are they just two things that happened concurrently? Yeah, we use this... <laughs> We use this phrase all the time. Like, if there's one phrase that we don't <laughs> need to describe to our audience. Ergo, Proctor Hot. Whatever. It's post hoc. Yeah, exactly. Proctor, Opter, Hot, Helicopter, Herbo, Locker, Locker Talk. They they know it. You say it every day. Yep. Well, I, I don't, I'm not saying that I know it. I'm just saying we use it pretty often. Well, so, so the idea could be that, like, Pitbulls were becoming popular at the same time, and that would be the same cause that they wound up in music videos. Yeah, maybe there's a an underlying cause that, that caused both of those phenomena, or maybe one phenomena caused the other. Sure, I'll throw in a fact check right here with whatever source I can find. I, I just, I know this to be true, which is a really dangerous thing to say, because <laughs> if you know something to be true... You don't know it at all. So I'll go ahead and Believe find some sources me. for it. I, I'm just curious, and I'm not trying to, like, um, accuse you of, like, making it. I'm just... Uh, you son of you a know, bitch. the scientific person in me, right? I want to just evaluate our sources and beat them to death, right? Well, that's, like, but, that's our jam, right? Like, right, who, like we exactly. try not to say wrong things, and if we say wrong things, we look we like idiots. It. We look like idiots later on when I put in a fact check. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Time for me to look like an idiot. We're like seven minutes into this episode and I spent like an hour researching facts about pit bulls. I don't own a pit bull. I don't plan on owning any pit bulls. I don't even have any pets. This episode isn't about pit bulls, but hey, we beat dead sources around here and damn it, this is no different. I'm going to put several articles in the doobly-doo for you to check out if you're so inclined. I now know way more about pit bulls than I ever intended, and I'm going to attempt to give you an overview of what I found out going down the rabbit hole and hopefully leave you at least as confused as I am. First of all, Pat seems to be right about pit bulls biting statistics, at least on the surface. We can leave it there, right? <sighs> I wish. Statistics on dog bites seem to normally be compiled from articles in various papers, website articles, etc. about these bites when they happen. The problem is that pit bulls are falsely identified in these articles all the time. 
So the number of these bites that are attributed to pit bulls are false, completely false. This is all I'm going to say about this, but you should really read the HuffPost article in the Doobladoo called The Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics Behind Dog Bites for more. It's wild. Only 6% of dogs in the U.S. are pit bulls. Aha! So they're bloodthirsty monsters for having so many bites attributed to them. But over 20% of the dogs in the U.S. are pit bull type dogs. Okay, so is it the owners or the breeding of the dogs that makes them so dangerous? The answer here seems to be yes. Most of the problems we see in these animals do seem to be because of poor ownership or because the animal has been trained to be aggressive. But, in addition, pit bulls have been bred and trained to be dogfighters for centuries. But, they've also been bred to be sweethearts by other breeders. And then those breeds come together and breed some... It's all, it's all very confusing. So you should be worried about being attacked by a pit bull then, right? Well, you have a 1 in 112,400 chance of dying from a dog bite. In terms of statistics... You're only in slightly more danger than being struck by lightning. Maybe don't stand under a tree during a thunderstorm or watch a random dude's 150-pound pit bull outside a gas station. But also maybe don't lose any sleep over it and recognize that 99% of these pits you're going to run into are in fact good boys and girls. Additional fun fact, the most aggressive breeds towards humans? Dachshunds and Chihuahuas. So make sure to watch out. Lastly, because again, this isn't an episode on pit bulls, but I want to touch base on the connection between the current popularity of pit bulls and hip-hop. In the book Pitbull, The Battle Over an American Icon, Bronwyn Dickey writes, quote, The images of pit bulls in early hip-hop, like the images of expensive jewelry and fancy cars, were images of power, and they became most prevalent during the years when the majority of hip-hop consumers, the urban underclass, didn't have any. Thousands of unemployed young people roamed the streets of depopulated cities that had been left to rot. While designer labels connotated wealth, pit bulls connotated strength. But not only strength, they also symbolized rebellion, self-sufficiency, and a willingness to defend oneself at any cost. And that's it. Well, maybe not it, but as much as I'm willing to get into it now, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. But I don't necessarily doubt the influence of rap videos. Right. Though, oh no, not at on, all. On 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 dog purchases either. So this morning, my car's been in the shop. This morning, I walked over to pick it up before heading into work. And and yeah, I've been working. I've been working a few days a week. Um, and I've kind of talked about that before. Um, but so I went to go get my car, and I'd forgotten my headphones. So I didn't, couldn't listen to my morning podcast on my walk. So I was just thinking. And I had this thought kind of pop into my head. So I walked past this ground sign in someone's yard that said, Any Functioning Adult 2020. Yep. (laughs) And I just wanted to, like, add a little, like, give a note saying, Sorry, that selection is not available. (laughs) (laughs) We're sorry. Arrow 404 not found. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and then it just kind of, my, my brain kept going with that thought and it arrived in this place where like thinking, okay, if America right now is a dumpster fire and I feel like we're pretty much comfortable with that thought, then 
the Republicans are like out here just sort of pouring buckets of rocket fuel on it, going the fire is good, the fire is good, and uh, and the Democrats are here. You you know you can write in anyone that you want. You could write in Vermin Supreme. I actually so I'm kind of heading towards something. Not really, but I, it it ties in with that. Yeah, I mean those are they're a joke this year. All uh, all third parties or, or extra parties are a joke. Not putting anything up. But anyway, so I'm, I'm sure like the Democrats who are like look, staring at a fire extinguisher and a fire hose hooked up to a hydrant and a bucket brigade of water. And instead they choose lighter fluid to try to put out the fire. That would make a cool political cartoon. I get I get every time because I've heard, a, you know, uh, Biden has spoken a couple times and this whole that the Tara Reid thing has been blowing up, and... Um, we definitely need to do another Biden episode soon. We do. I just had this, like, visual in my mind of, like, the Democrats going, like, well, we need to do something to put out this fire. I know. Well, the timing is just really unfortunate, because, like, I don't know if there's a precedent for going back and redoing <laughs> the primaries, but... Uh, I mean, the primaries are pretty well over. Right. No, they're, we're, we're done. We, like, we will be voting or not voting for Biden. That's your option now. The only thing at this point that could happen is to change that, basically, is if, say, at the Democrat or at or before the Democratic convention, maybe Biden decides to step down because of the, maybe because of the Tara Reid thing and all the delegates just agreed to go ahead and cast for Bernie instead of where they were going to or something like that. I mean, this is like, this is the same kind of, <laughs> Man, un, that is re, same kind of reasoning that if that, you like, this looks like, this sounds like the plot of something you found on Pornhub. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's, no, it's, yes, I mean, it's a good thing to think about, but it's not. I no, only even. It's not. I, I say it because, as far as I can tell, I think that's literally the only chance that it's not uh, Biden. So I I say that only to emphasize the the futility of the situation. Yeah. No. It's it's Biden. It's it's Biden. Uh, anything eventful happened to you this week, Nathan? <sighs> well, I've had a not my favorite day ever. Um. To, to let people behind the curtain a little bit, we sometimes record episodes at different times and those record those episodes actually pop up. And the only reason I uh, say that right now is because today is Cinco de Mayo and we had the fun idea. I made some uh, guacamole, some homemade guacamole uh, earlier today and I had this whole big plan. There's a local restaurant called Los Ar Arcos that I like a lot. And it's a little Mexican restaurant, so we were going to order from there. And I ordered from there, and I show up. They said it was going to be ready in 20 minutes. I was like, all right, it's going to take some them some extra time. So I showed up like 45 minutes after I ordered, and I get there, and there has to be like 30 or 40 people standing outside of the restaurant. And those people were just the tip of the iceberg of the people that were inside of the restaurant that were like shoulder to shoulder with each other. So I ended up, <laughs> I had to go inside to cancel my order because they had literally taken the phone off the hook. You couldn't, you could not call them. So um, I went inside the restaurant, canceled my order, and uh, I'm still eating uh, 
a Whopper right now because that was like my option. But we did have some delicious guacamole to go with that Whopper. Oh, that's sad. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If you want, Caitlin made some enchiladas. And if you want, I will holler downstairs right now, ask her to put some in the container, and Sarah can come pick them up. We'll put them on the on the porch. That is a very, very nice option. They were super good. Uh, but if you if you'd offered that maybe an hour and a half ago, then I might have taken you up on it. But but Fair that enough. is that is very Sorry. nice. I will say Andy did I think I mentioned it in a previous episode, but during this <laughs> uh quarantine thing. Uh, you uh, dropped me off some uh, flatbread pizza. That was really good, too. Yeah, you put in a lot of work uh, editing and fact-checking our episodes. and uh, I agree. So it's the least you can do. I appreciate it. It's not... I, I could do it, but, like, I not... It's very intimidating to me, and so I very much <laughs> appreciate your willingness to do it. No, no, I, I like it. I think... Um, no, I like doing it. I think we've talked about, and I like the idea of you guys maybe... Uh, editing some mini episodes here in the not too distant future, so that way we can release some extra stuff. I'm gonna try some. So we'll. I'm gonna do that with some of stuff coming up. Uh, hopefully, I'll have some good content coming out for my my fans out there. <laughs> All three of you. <laughs> and, and and I do I do super appreciate you too, Nathan. I uh, I appreciate you more, I guess, in like a philosophical <laughs> way. <In> a... <laughs> But Andy, you're you're Listen, you're pretty I, awesome. I, for um, that. I give love in a lot of ways, and one of those ways yep. is through food. Um, did we all go? Do we all did we all get a little thing? Because I feel like, hey guys, yeah. Do you do you know some of my favorite things in the world? Are they drugs? Is it to smoke weed every day? I was gonna say pizza and movies. Uh huh. And drugs. Drugs, baby, baby, baby. All right, I'm being silly, but mm. I uh, love Lipitor. We have a drug problem in no, this country, and I think we should talk about it. I have a drug problem in this house because I don't have enough. Bow, 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 bow. No, I, I don't. Well, so I think there are a couple of big things that are <laughs> problems, and I think that they like build on each other. So one of the big problems is imprisonment for nonviolent drug offenders. So. Something like 45% of people who are in prison in the U.S. today, which is a number that hovers around 2 million people, plus or minus, which is the most of any country in the world. The U.S. imprisons more people per capita than anywhere else in the world. Um, Yeah. And you would think that, like, okay... Imprisoning all those people is maybe necessary in some way, and that probably has a really good impact on rehabilitating our drug offenders, you might think. Not so. No. So we still have this huge opioid epidemic, and imprisonment isn't making that any better. In a lot of cases, it's making things worse. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, bring to the table is this study that was made in the 1970s. It's called the Rat Park Experiment. And what they did was they made this utopia for rats. They made this, like, perfect world with, like, 
leisure activities and plenty of space, available food. And what they found was that compared to mice who were held in cages in social isolation without any amenities, so the rats that were not in the rat park, the rats who were in the rat park didn't favor drinking morphine-laced water over regular tap water. So, in other words, they weren't getting addicted to drugs in the same way that the rats that were being held in tight, confined spaces were showing a very positive response to addiction to morphine and showing a huge preference for drinking the morphine water. And I think that the big picture to draw from that is that one of the factors in addiction is not just the chemical dependence on the drug, it's how, for lack of a better term, how sh is your life outside of this drug and how much are you looking yeah. for an escape into this substance? I think that's really important. So if you're just making people's lives worse, if you're just imprisoning them for nonviolent drug offenses, you're not making the situation in their life better. In, in a lot of cases, you're, you're wrecking people's lives, their future, their potential for future employment, their potential for even just having rights. You know, if you get a felony, you lose a lot of your rights in this country, including the right to vote. So um, there's... Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, well, I don't want to interrupt you, but I think we're going to have to do an episode on the prison industrial complex, too. But I think one thing to back up what you're saying is that there's a Hughes Center report that I read earlier today, but the recidivism rate for uh, people who have been in prison is 43%. That means 43% think that prison is significantly better than their normal life where they're willing to go back or at least risk going back to be able to pursue the same things that landed them in there in the first place. Right. As, as a punishment, you would, you would think the reason that we punish people is so that they learn their lessons, so they don't do it again and they become productive members of society. And the research just doesn't back that up. That's, that's not what happens when people go to prison. Often when people go to prison, especially for like minor drug offenses, what they often learn is how to be a better criminal. Right. And, and even nonviolent offenders will often become violent offenders after they leave prison to come back. It's, it's because mm -hmm. our system isn't built to rehab people. It's not meant to go ahead and give them a chance to become better people it's meant for revenge, and there's no group of people, especially when this system was created, this country hates more than black men. And that's, we have a lot okay. of black men in our I, uh, prison system. Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back against you, the word revenge, only because it's, it just has a, a bit too much of a slant in my mind. I don't think that it, or, or I guess, revenge for what? There's not, um, it's, it's not. It's that it's punitive. Right. It's to, um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I guess in sort of a very textbooky way, revenge would be appropriate. 
but um, it carries with it a connotation of I've been harmed, and I think there is some of that. You when when especially in civil, well, civil cases don't result in prison time, do they? Um, but in in cases of where there's a victim, 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 full crimes. Uh, crimes with <laughs> no, that sounds right to me. Yeah, well, let's stick anyway, with it. Um, I definitely won't do a fact check here that says that's not a word. <laughs> definitely will not do that. Mini fact check. According to Merriam-Webster, victim, victimize, victims, victimhood, victim-sized, victim sizes, victimized, victimizer, victimizes, victimless, victimhoods, and victim sizing are all words. Victimful. Not a word. Mini fact check. Victimed crimes, victimization crimes, um, crimes for the victim. Then, then I think there is some level of revenge. But you, there's when you're talking about a nonviolent drug offender, what is the revenge there? I think it more to just say it's to be punishing. It's to be to in, in, incite fear. I think there is a large percentage of this country uh, that is racist. And the thing that they want revenge for is these men being alive, these people being alive, these people taking their jobs, these people no longer being owned by their families. I guess. I mean, I don't uh, that to know that we. we really I, I think that there is there is definitely a racial element to the politics of this. I think there's a racial element. I think revenge is just an odd word for it. I, I don't even want to say a wrong word for it. Just a kind of an odd word for it to me. I mean, and this is one of those things where I don't want to like get into an argument with you every every episode about like using one word versus another word that are essentially synonyms for each other. <laughs> but I do well, think there is so there's no way to make a good faith argument that racism isn't a huge part of why our system looks the way it does. I agree. So I think, um, there we go. We're on the same page. In Done. fact, if I could read a quote. So John Ehrlichman, uh, one of Nixon's aides, top aides even. Um, oh, this is the quote like, uh, did we know? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So I got the whole the whole thing here because it's just, oh, it's. Mwah. Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, so he says, you want to know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Right. So, I mean, this brings me to my next point, which is about public image and essentially propaganda. Mm -hmm. So there is a huge political cost to saying that we don't want to punish nonviolent drug offenders. If you aren't tough on crime, then it's very likely that you will be uh, you will lose an election to somebody who is tough on crime, and yep. it's because of this entrenched mentality that we have that punishing people works. It 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 just isn't backed up by data. People who go to prison are just not 
they're not being rehabilitated into uh you know law abiding citizens as well as they would be by actual rehabilitation by social work by well, you know giving people opportunities and jobs and working to improve their lives and their home situations i'll go one step further and say that in the last uh, since the 70s since the drug war really kicked off and and especially since private prisons but let me get there in a second um it has not only been that rehabilitation is not very effective but rehabilitation has not been the goal it has not been exactly what they're even out there to do it's there to punish that's been the mindset for 50 years and then it since the age of private prisons yeah. it's gone even further to the point where they don't it's not even about punishing necessarily so much as they don't give a rat's ass as long as they're turning a profit which they do conveniently by doing the same things that are that make it absolute hell so right but my my point is more that people are not sensitive to the data on this people have a firmly held belief that punishing people for nonviolent drug offenses is the right yeah. thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to change that belief when people aren't really looking closely at these re- recidivism numbers. Or it, it's very hard to even do studies in the U.S. on this type of subject because... You can't you can't get a right, study because, uh, approved, or you can't get government funding for a study where you're like, well, we're going to look at the effects of illegal narcotics. Mm-hmm. Well, this is another thing that we've done, sort of like healthcare, where we've taken something that should never ever have had profit associated with it and given it to a private industry. There's no reason why men's lives and women's lives like this should be affected by whether they can fill a certain number of beds in an area. There should, there's no reason why sheriff in Texas should be able to take home a quarter million dollars because he underfed his prisoners and got to keep the additional funds that he saved well, by not giving them a reasonable quality of life. And and more to the point of, of the, the drug war, uh, there's no reason why these cultures should have been associated with these horrible drugs and then victimized by the police uh, and screw, screwed over like that. Um, it's except for racism. It's funny you should mention that because um, the UN Human Rights Committee and Amnesty International have grown very concerned about conditions in prisons in the United States. You'd think that, like, you know, we are a first world country, we are the wealthiest country in the world, that we wouldn't have problems like, you know, standing water, pests, rats and roaches, like being in the prisons, unclean food. But, you know, we're, we're really not doing a good job, even by the standards of international law and international organizations. Well, and on that same page... Uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, here in good old Ohio, there's a prison a prison where they tested everyone for coronavirus, and 73% of the inmates were tested positive for coronavirus. Because they're literally not able 
to social distance inside this prison. So now, now not only have you been potentially arrested for something you never should have been in prison for in the first place, but now you are required to get this disease. You're required to risk your life because you don't have an option uh, where you could literally where you could separate yourself. from. Right. I, I would look at that as like a human rights issue. You know, I mean, are we yeah. are we putting people's lives in danger in violation of the Constitution? I mean, I'll talk prisons if you want to talk prisons. Mm. Well, and that's the thing. This, this is like every single episode where we sure. talk about one thing and it's intrinsically linked with a different thing. That we what we should be doing is like five hour episodes. Nah, <laughs> we just we need to do we need to do an episode on prisons right. before too long and just like yeah. the the way we prosecute people in the United States. But for sure, we we should system. probably you know drug it up drug style. Another country that in the early nineties was having a huge problem with this was Portugal. Portugal is a country that for a long time has this established culture of uh, you know, Catholicism and didn't really have a lot of experience in like how to treat a drug culture, how to treat like drug problems. And so their immediate first response was just, you know, throw everybody in prison and very punitive legal system. And it was a disaster for them. So HIV rates were at an all-time high. Uh, people were injecting drugs unsafely. And um, so what they did was they contacted a panel of experts to say, like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. What would you recommend for our country to do about this drug problem? And what the experts said to do was move the drug treatment from the Ministry of Law to the Ministry of Health. Stop treating it like a crime. We're not going to have any involvement with law enforcement or courts if, and we're going to decriminalize all drugs, not just your marijuana and your unimpactful drugs on people's health, but also drugs that really do a lot of harm to people's health cocaine, amphetamines, heroin, all sorts of opioids. They decriminalized all of them. That's not to say that it was legal, but it was decriminalized. We're removing the penalties for possession of small, like, user-sized amounts of these drugs. And so we're, we're not going to send these people through the legal system at all. We're just going to put them into treatment and rehabilitation. And that program has been enormously successful. It's been the envy of the world when we're talking about rehabilitation rates and effectiveness. And one of the really important things that they do is they hook you up with social workers, with treatment options, with opportunities for jobs. Instead of imprisoning you, they set you up with, as I mentioned in a previous episode, Suboxone, which is a drug that can mitigate the effects of opioids. You can also get methadone, which is kind of a, a similar class of drugs. And so, so what you can do is, like, with these kind of drugs, you can treat the addiction 
um, without getting a resulting high. So you you can treat like the withdrawal symptoms and you won't feel cravings, but you also won't nurture a dependence on these drugs and you can wean yourself off of it over time. So I, I think that that's critically important because like the rats in the rat park, you're giving them a new lease on life. You're giving them a better environment to live in rather than putting them in a tiny cage where the drug has a huge addictive effect. You can reduce the addictive effectiveness of the drug by simply just improving people's lives overall. And I think that that's something that we, we really, it would take a lot of doing to move that mountain in the U.S., yeah, but it's yeah. something that we need to talk about. It's like, again, it's like all these different problems. Like we're not saying that there's easy answers to all of them, but this is why every time you ask me what would I do, I'd be like, "Can we talk about it? Like, can we have smart people like figure yeah. out what to do? Like, that's it's pretty like I have a similar answer for a lot of that stuff. I think I think this is a si- simple solution. I just think it's it's very hard politically. I think it's nearly impossible to change people's minds about this subject but that's that's why it's so critically important to try and change people's minds about this subject this has a correlation to ubi as well in that i sort of mentioned during that episode i think people feel that they they hate lazy people they hate people who do certain things that they associate with laziness or with um what they see as being a bad person and I think people who uh, people want to punish drug users because they think they're bad people. Right. Like we have to get rid of that idea in people's heads that these are just people who maybe, yeah, maybe they need a little help. Maybe they have a medical issue because addiction is a medical issue. It's not a, it should not be a legal issue or a punitive issue. Addiction is a medical issue, but also a lot of these drugs have very legitimate medical benefits that are being studied in a lot of countries other than here. Yeah. For instance, and, and, and you know, if you want to talk about, like, the the legal stigmas associated in the United States, these drugs are broken down by schedule. Schedule 1, the most dangerous, high risk for addiction, little evidence of medical benefits. Schedule 1 big bad drugs are heroin. I feel like there's probably not a lot of pushback on that one. LSD, which actually has a lot of medical benefits in psychology. It's not addictive whatsoever, and it has a ton of medical application in psychiatry right now. That doesn't seem very addictive at all to me, but okay. Same with, well, yeah. MDMA, ecstasy, which I think does have some addictive ish concerns but also that's that's interesting i didn't know that yeah oh oh definitely so so ecstasy is is one of the big ones for have you ever heard of like crashes like um so what it does is it depletes your dopamine reserves and uh people who have done ecstasy for a long period of time they often experience depression because their neurotransmitter reserves are just completely spent. And it, it takes a lot of time uh, being sober, being clean from these drugs, 
to even start to like enjoy daily activities again um, to get like the same normal amount of neurotransmitters that they would get from a walk outside or doing well at sports or enjoying a nice meal or, you know, whatever activity. So I I think ecstasy actually is a pretty dangerous drug, um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, no, that's fair. And, but I do know it does have also some applications in treating uh, psychiatric disorders. So perhaps under, you know, the care of a medical professional, it could be safely administered. Anyway, um, let's see here. Peyote is not addictive. And I mean, I guess in theory, it's kind of dangerous, arguably, in the same way that LSD is. That, like, if you do something stupid... There's no way that that's addictive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. But, like... If you think you can fly... Yeah, if you think uh, you can fly and you jump off a building, maybe. Right. Um, and then, of course, the, the the big hitter, marijuana. Right, as a, as a Schedule 1. Schedule 1, the most dangerous of drugs. You probably don't want to drive. And, and federally still illegal. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things. There was this whole like subset of like war on drugs, like marijuana commercials, where it wasn't like don't smoke weed. It was like don't smoke weed and drive. I mean, obviously, yes, don't do that. So can we uh, talk about for a second how uh, people being afraid of and this will be shocking because we've totally cleared this up now. Uh, people were afraid of Mexican immigrants, and they're looking for a way to demonize them. And it was thought that Mexican Mexican immigrants uh, smoked more marijuana than uh, your average U.S. citizen, and so that's why it was made illegal in the first place. That's also why we made opium illegal back in the day because we were afraid of Chinese immigrants. So, point of fact here: the Harrison Act did not prohibit opiates and cocaine it only taxed it mm. similarly well uh, it's no um, the the 1937 marijuana tax act was a tax right. on marijuana no none were illegal until until nixon actually with one exception with one exception alcohol well cuz it's so much safer than you know weed and everything right that's that was prohibition in the uh, right. What, 1930s? Before before 1970, I think, three, uh, the only thing that had ever been, the only substance ever made illegal had was alcohol, and that had gotten repealed, like, 15 years later. Right, and I, I don't necessarily think that it was ever a good idea to uh, have alcohol prohibition, right. to, to make alcohol illegal, but I will say, if we're talking comparatively... Alcohol is a terribly harmful drug. It's awful. It's terrible. It's it so uh just to put it in put it in perspective, nineteen twenty to nineteen thirty-three was the time where prohibition was enforced in the US. Right. And it, it, an extremely unpopular law. A, a law a law that interestingly led to the rise of huge bootlegger gangs this this huge increase yeah. in crime and the profitability of crime that came from all of this legal enforcement centered around alcohol i was going to say at the time you could buy grape juice and on the grape juice it would have a warning on the back saying 
Warning, if you leave this out for this amount of time and add this much sugar, this will turn alcoholic. So make sure not to do that. Because <laughs> it would be illegal. Right. And then people made moonshine in their in their bathtub. Yes. Isn't it funny how much more criminal activity happens when a lot of things are illegal? Right. Well, I, I would also say that, like, you could take that as a microcosm for all of the money that's going into cartels, all the money that's, like, being shipped out of the country and, and going to international crime organizations that actually have this huge negative impact and this huge loss of life in their local areas. Let's not forget about all of the people that get, you know, beheaded and murdered in the Southern Hemisphere and in Mexico over cartel violence. And and we're directly funding that with our drug habits. Well, uh, in fact, there's lots of <laughs> conspiracies and what have you regarding just how much we're supporting that and how much of that support is government sanctioned. Right. Are you talking um, about um, the CIA introducing crack into Harlem and L.A. Yeah. in the 1980s? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they also were bringing a lot of powder cocaine in. So um, I want to say that that's, that's yeah, a hotly were... contested story. That that's, that's not necessarily accepted historical fact. But it is interesting that the guy who broke the story on that was uh, found dead by suicide with two gunshots to the back of his head. <laughs> I mean... That's interesting. Lots of former that that classic self double tap. There have been a good handful of CIA former CIA agents who have come forward as say of confirming that stuff, and like they've written books. I, I want to make clear that you know it it is not unprecedented that people have committed suicide by gunshot to the head and shot themselves more than once. That's that's not a disqualifier. It's very, I guess, suspicious. Very, very incredibly rare. It's, yeah, it's it's Awfully, it's incredibly rare. Would I uh, maybe go so far as to say kind of Clinton-y? But it's not it's not unprecedented. It, it, <laughs> it has happened. No, you cannot say it's a little bit Clinton-y. <laughs> we're we're gonna go ahead and strike that from the record. Oh, that's probably better for me. So none of us get murdered. There's also a whole lot of... Um, Sorry, suicided. <laughs> right. Yeah, CIA and, and, and like some heroin operations also. There's rumors. I mean, trying to interf use, use drugs to interfere with political goings-ons in other countries. And, like, the United States government is super not afraid of weaponizing drugs in any way they can find. We love it. Right. I mean, I can't necessarily corroborate the truth of those kinds of stories, but, I mean, if if you've got ex-CIA agents that are coming forward with information about that, that does lend credence to those kind of stories. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different thoughts out there about how things go down, and I figure probably most of them are wrong, but 
there's a little bit of truth in all of them kind of thing. I don't know. But at any rate, um, the moral of the story is the United States government is bad, bad entity. Well, I mean, it's it's such a huge entity that it's virtually impossible to rein in all of the bad seeds. So um, I think it's highly likely that, um, you know, there are renegade... No, we're uh, not talking about rogue operations, though. We're talking about, like, redacted as all-get-out official action. But... Maybe. <laughs> that I mean, that's the accusation anyway. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's definitely a history of racism that would back up something like that. You know, like the, the intent to disenfranchise certain political groups um, using things like drugs. There's, there's a precedent for that, for sure. Hey, quick question, not to get too sidetracked, but do you, do you guys... My favorite kind of question. Right. You guys remember D.A.R.E.? Uh, we talked about yeah. this literally last episode. Yeah, but sure did. now we're actually doing the drug episode, so. Uh, I believe this is just <laughs> the statistic I pulled up, and I think I forgot to fact check it last time, so I'll fact check it this time, is I believe there is a higher percentage of people who have gone through the D.A.R.E. program that take drugs than people who have not taken the D.A.R.E. program. Yeah. Which I personally think is pretty funny. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> I, again, wonder if this might be a case of post hoc ergo proctor hoc type thing it, but it definitely fails to demonstrate the effectiveness of dare it sure does right what i will say is i'm not sure you could say that dare makes people do drugs what you could absolutely say is dare does not stop people from doing drugs i was going to say dare doesn't right. not not make people do oh yeah, no. That, your way of saying it was much better than mine. I'm sorry. I thought so too. Listen, <laughs> I have I have an ear for this sort of thing. You just got to trust yeah. me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Dare was fun. I think. Fun. I think. Uh... <laughs> I, I came across this study the other day. Um, this this wasn't that recent. This was actually uh, uh, some time ago. That they took terminally ill cancer patients. And they did a study where they offered them a small dose of psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in what, what you would call magic mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. Um, Boomers. The effect that they found was incredibly strong. Like we're talking very, very high P values, which is, you know, the... the statistical significance of the effect that they found. And they what they found was huge decreases in depression and fear reactions to mortality in people who reported that they had a positive or a, a spiritual experience on the psilocybin. Hmm. They've also had a lot of success in treating depression, I think bipolar disorder, and I believe schizophrenia with what they call microdosing of LSD, which is just small quarter of a dose dose. <laughs> like quarter quarter of a milligram. Yes. Like thank just you. tiny, tiny amounts. Yeah, very 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 small amounts, uh, but throughout the day to help level out a little bit. Right. So one of the things that we understand about depression your mind is made up of this huge complex of neurons that fire together 
and they form patterns of associations. So that's why, like, um, you know, when I mention Star Wars, you think of Darth Vader. Like, those two things are associated in your mind because those two pathways, the Star Wars pathway and the Darth Vader pathway, are linked together. In people who have depression, um, they have these negative feedback loops where, um, you know, feeling bad makes them think bad thoughts, which makes them, uh, you know, exhibit non-productive behaviors, which then goes back to making them feel bad. It's, it's this sort of cyclical loop of associations, and it can be very difficult to break up those associations. But one of the things that they found with, you know, with hallucinogens, with psychoactive drugs is that they have an effect of sort of scrambling all of these associations and making brand new associations with your neurons. And and that's why you find them to be effective in treating certain things like depression. As a quick, I guess, sidestep here, we're talking about now a lot of medical applications of recreational drugs, but we should be very clear that drugs that your doctor already prescribes you are drugs, too. All drugs are drugs. Right. And so, really, ultimately, there are just drugs that we choose to use in medicine and drugs we don't use in our medicine. Is this the point where we jump into opioids? Is this your, like, transition into opioids? I mean, I was going to go ahead and take a minute and say, like, if you're listening to this and like, oh, I have depression, Mm -hmm. don't start trying to microdose LSD on your own. There are perfectly good pharmaceuticals available that will help. I know lots of people who use them. I have gone, I've tried some, I hadn't found uh, something that really worked for me before my insurance got all scrambled, but they're, they're terrible. I I will tell you that antidepressants that are prescribed over the counter or not prescribed over the counter, but that are prescribed by doctors are, terrible terrible things and you should stay far far away from them you're much better off with lsd but i should preface that with we are not doctors wow can we get a slamming on the brake sound effect there (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) right a fact fact check (laughs) because the thing you just said sounds crazy you just said a crazy thing what leads you to believe that LSD is better? I'm. You might be right. What What leads you to believe that LSD is better than antidepressant drugs? So one of the big antidepressant drugs, and I've talked about this before, are SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It's this relatively young uh, new class of drugs that has uh, really come into prominence in the throughout the 90s and continued on to today and it's a class of drugs that has really horrible side effects including sexual dysfunction increased rate of suicide lack of motivation people report feeling numb just not feeling anything at all about their lives if somebody is taking ssris and listening to this podcast and has benefited greatly from them, then I'm really happy for you, and I don't want to take away from that. But statistically, they just are not good at their job. What I'm going to say is very anecdotal, and so 
should not be like taken as a hard fact or anything. When I was speaking with a psychiatrist and trying a couple different antidepressants, I asked about that stuff, especially SSRIs. Well, yeah, but you know, especially the the suicide side effect. <laughs> Did, did you know that they're did you know that they're extremely dangerous with alcohol that they have an interaction with alcohol that can literally like kill you from a a very normal amount of alcohol all right so now i I'm wondering if and this was a few years ago I don't even remember the name of the drugs that that i that he gave me but um that's a good one to ask I about though I think that maybe they were not SSRIs then because I also asked about that and he said it was okay but alcohol is a depressant so you probably shouldn't drink anyway as much or something like that but at any rate so that's different then yeah yeah no they they can definitely kill you so uh one of them is prozac uh another one's called selexa um pat paxil zoloft lexpro yeah i'm looking at a list of them now yeah that's fine. I can definitely, I, I, I can pretty conclusively say that what he gave me were not in that class of drugs now that we have hashed that out. What we'll do is Pat's going to look up those studies that he's talking about, and he's going to send me some information, and then I will put in a fact check right here. And so that way we can back it up. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to fact check. I can't believe I complained about the Pitbull fact check. Compared to this, it seems like a pleasant, far-off memory. I also want to restate a point that Pat made earlier. We are not doctors. We're three underemployed guys who do a podcast. Unless it's for entertainment purposes, listen to very little of what we say. Okay, first off, can SSRIs be dangerous? Yes. You heard Pat read off the list of possible side effects, and while Andy's point about side effects being rare is valid, I would highly suggest not brushing off potential side effects of a drug without A, discussing it with your doctor, and B, making sure you actually have a good doctor. I'm going to link a variety of sources for you in the doobly-doo, but here's what I've read about SSRIs. It's exceedingly rare that adults have increased suicidal thoughts, but it does happen. It's also rare, but less so, that children have increased ideation and thoughts of suicide, but as far as I can tell, it only extends to thoughts, not actions. There are no studies I can find linking the combination of alcohol and antidepressants to death. However, abusing either by taking too much can certainly lead to death, and it's fair to assume that combining them increases that risk. But, even if you don't die by combining them, there are a number of other nasty things that can happen if you do. You may feel more depressed or anxious. Side effects may be worse if you also take other medication. You may be at risk of dangerous reaction if you take MAOIs. So, bear with me here. MAOIs are monamine oxidase inhibitors, and they were the first class of antidepressants to be developed. They were taken off the market for a variety of nasty side effects. If you combine alcohol and SSRIs, your thinking and alertness may be impaired. You may have slowed motor skills or cognitive abilities. You may have sudden personality changes or memory loss. You may become dizzy or confused. You may be at risk of alcohol abuse. You may be at increased risk of blackouts. You may have trouble sleeping. It's bad. It's real bad. Now, having said this, Antidepressants do work for some people, and at worst have no side effects for the vast majority of people who do use them. According to the study Depression, colon, How Effective Are Antidepressants, quote, 
Studies show that the benefit generally depends on the severity of the depression. The more severe the depression, the greater the benefits are likely to be. In other words, antidepressants are effective against chronic, moderate, and severe depression. They probably won't work in the treatment of mild depression. Studies of adults with moderate or severe depression showed, without antidepressants, about 20 to 40 out of 100 people who took a placebo noticed an improvement in their symptoms within 6 to 8 weeks. With antidepressants, about 40 to 60 out of the 100 people who took antidepressants noticed an improvement in their symptoms within 6 to 8 weeks. In other words, antidepressants improve symptoms in about 20 more people out of 100. Okay, Whew. let me catch my breath here real quick. Whew. All right, home stretch. Lastly, let's go ahead and tackle if LSD helps with depression or not. The answer is maybe. Serious studies just seem to be getting underway recently, but there simply isn't enough research to say one way or another. According to Mark Morgan, who has PTSD from dealing with traumatic memories of sexual abuse from his childhood when he took lysergic acid dithylamide, or LSD, quote, It allowed me to dissociate from the sharp pain that a lot of those memories can bring up, which caused me to shy away from processing them. I was able to confront the topic in a more analytical way that felt healthier. There are no studies that confirm that microdosing LSD is effective, but on the other hand, there aren't any studies that say it isn't. There's simply very little appetite for this kind of research right now, and virtually no funds to support it. But who knows what the future may bring? Let's get back to the show. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. I understand. Um, I, I'm just saying that because of what I was going to say is less significant, but I stu- I'm still going to say it. So he said basically that a lot of those things that are listed, they just are kind of like legally they have tos because in like some studies it happened once or twice. <laughs> I'm not talking about specifically fact checking your life, Andy, more fact checking the drug in general, but I understand. What um, it's not a statistical concern, but they still have to include it legally, essentially. Not to downplay the if it happened, it happened. But I, I think when you list it right there with it, it's like when you look at that the ingredients on a food product, they're they're all listed there, but you don't know what proportions and how much of each of those things really. I know that they're listed in order, for sure. But. Yeah, interesting pivot or good pivot to um, to morphine and opi- opioids. Well, the nice thing is all these things have been out long enough now where there will be numbers on this stuff that we can as- we can associate. I'm just going to read this list of possible side effects of SSRIs from the Mayo Clinic. So we've got nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Sure, headache, drowsiness, dry mouth, insomnia. But also nervousness, agitation or restlessness, dizziness, and here's the one you'll like, Andy. Sexual problems, such as reduced sexual desire, difficulty reaching orgasm, or inability to maintain an erection, erectile dysfunction, or impact on appetite leading to weight loss or weight gain. So, to to just clarify, like, I I think that LSD is better... Because I think that the potential for harm is much, much less. So I, okay, I agree. 
I think in most cases, and this will be something for Nathan to fact check, I guess, but I, I believe that in most cases the drug works or it doesn't work. It has some maybe a minor side effect where, like, yeah, your libido's tapered a bit. You're you're messing with you're you're changing the chemistry in your brain. It's going to have effects. LSD has side effects. They're just different. I don't think that those drugs are bad. I think that they can help a lot of people, but they can't help everyone. I think that LSD or peyote or MDMA or even just marijuana could help some people, but not all. And I think that any drug that could help a person live a better, happier, more successful life, whatever that means to them, should be available for a doctor to prescribe it to them in a controlled environment. Right. I, I don't. I don't want to take. I it, I, I did, my my objection was less that to the that that LSD is better. I actually agree with you on that. My objection there was to saying that those drugs are crap. I just say that they right. So I don't want to take away from anybody who um, you know does get a lot of good out of SSRIs. But if I could just read for a second, in in some cases, children, teenagers, Uh and young adults under twenty five may have an increase in suicidal thoughts or behavior. Like that is that's a big deal. Like and that's that's a that's a big deal to me. It is. Except that actually specifically was the kind of tagline that. The psychiatrist that I talked to kind of shrugged off. They they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be shrugging that off. Well, I just don't know what the reality of that is. I think what he described to me basically was that if it is a side effect for a similar drug, then they have to carry it over, even if it never actually presented in any trials for that drug. And And basically what he said was like, they weigh over... <laughs> overblow it. Right. I, I also in the like interest of covering from their ass. Reports of what I understand about the drug, it it doesn't make you happy. It just makes you not feel sad. And But that can be good, I mean, right? Like if your if your normal baseline is super bad and you get up to normal, that's that's a huge improvement. So and yeah, and and like I was saying to Pat earlier, like it doesn't have to work for everybody. If it works for some people, then let's use let those people use it. So, so and the people it doesn't work for, let's explore some other options. So being being sad and depression are not quite the same thing. Being sad is a normal, healthy yeah. part of life. Like if you lose someone that is close to you, there is a normal period of mourning. Uh, Depression... I, uh... I've heard rumors of this so-called grief. No, but, um... But (laughs) depression is different. Depression is a long, sustained period of feeling hopelessness and sustained feelings of sadness over a long period of time. It's it's not quite the same thing as being sad. Yeah, I've seen that Amy Poehler Pixar movie. I know it's up. Right. No, I, and listen, I, I already kind of mentioned that I had seen a, a doctor, and I will again now that I'm at my insurance is stabilized again after some short tumultuous time there. Anyway, the way that these things are diagnosed is a little bit tricky, and that's what makes this hard to spit out. A lot of times... Um, 
way they diagnose <laughs> mental disorders. That is to say, the way they identify the chemical imbalance leading to the disorder that you experience, right? If I say I'm depressed, what that really means is these chemicals are off in this way. So the way to really pinpoint that is essentially try different drugs and see what works. Right, but I, I think that there's something that's flawed about that approach as well. Oh, they wish that they had better approaches easily available to them. And I don't know the issues there. I don't know if it's a problem of they don't know how to measure different levels or they don't have legal right to or some. I don't know. But what if instead of a chemical imbalance in your brain, your life needs improvement? You know, that that your brain is telling you that you're in a bad situation. Like maybe you have a chaotic home situation or you have a bad relationship with your family or some something is going on. You know, you don't have good living conditions. The things that lead to depression are not necessarily that you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Now, that could well, be the case. I'm not I'm not excluding that that, that could be say, the case. But I don't think that that I don't think that's I always think, the case. I think actually it is sort of one and the same. Um, that chemical imbalance can be either uh, ge- like genetic and and because of a, a the way your genes are written, or it could be yeah. developed over an expend- extended period of time. Ooh. Stress, depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness. And loss of interest, also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, it affects how you feel, think, and behave, and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. Just so we don't keep on guessing what the definition is. I think is. even if cool. it's genetic, it still needs, it needs the right conditions to Well, alright, yeah, there's sort of a nature versus nurture thing there where, like, genes aren't producing chemicals in the right way, but everything is going so great. And your life is just so easy peasy that it never really presents itself, I guess. But nonetheless, ultimately, what that when you're talking about clinical depression as opposed to just being sad, what you're talking about is a regular imbalance of chemicals, whether that is comes about uh, biologically or well, it's all biologically, but whether that comes around through something in your genes or because of a learned, you know, uh, associations and and pattern, neural patterns, uh, it it amounts to the same. And so what the drugs are trying to do is correct that. Right. And and I will will double down on saying that you're better off taking LSD than SSRIs. And I, I, yeah, I'm curious to know if LSD has a higher rate of success than those do. There's not a ton of data on LSD, on the treatments, but there is some. I'm super excited to find that, to hear that fact check. Yeah, no, uh, the numbers are better. Right, you can't get government funding and you can't, you can't um, legally perform your study, yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, and no, I know that there have been studies, I just don't think that there have been many, and for exactly that reason, it's hard so, to be allowed to. And what I will say is, one problematic thing about our sort of buttoned down feeling about or like us um, having a moral problem with drugs for so long is for a long time. Scientists have not been able to study 
effects of drugs on different things, uh, of illegal drugs on different things. So what I'm saying is that I have no reason to disbelieve what you're saying, Pat, other than the fact that I don't think there's that much data out there for it. Now, maybe there is, and I just don't know about it. So, like, that's why, like, I'm not interested in having a conversation so much as I am interested in fact-checking it, because the data is out there or it isn't. Right, so to pivot slightly back to opioids, which is pretty much the the hot-button issue that's going on still today, um, it's been kind of overshadowed by other, you know, global pandemic health issues that are going on, but um, it's... It's still a huge problem in this country, and particularly in our state. You know, there are, uh, I want to say, the the second leading cause of death behind heart disease, uh, passing motor vehicle crashes, was opioid-related deaths in Ohio. Um, and we can fact-check that as well. Mini fact-check. Apparently finding current causes of death for a state is incredibly difficult. It takes years to compile that information, and the most recent information I was able to find was from back in 2017. And the opioid crisis wasn't really as much of a thing then as it is now. What I can tell you is, according to americashealthrankings.org, a site that tracks different states' health rankings, here's some really disturbing information. In the past three years... Drug deaths have increased 77% in Ohio. So, while I can't confirm what Pat said is correct, and I don't know how he got his information, I can tell you that the opioid crisis here is incredibly dangerous. Mini fact check. The way that this got started was with prescription drugs. And then um, when people couldn't doctor shop anymore, um, that's something that they have started to really crack down on. Doctor shopping is when, uh, you know, you get a prescription from one doctor and you fill it. And when that doctor um, stops writing you new prescriptions, you you find the the doctor that will continue writing you prescriptions. Um, it's something that has always been illegal, but they have more recently started cracking down on it. And people still have these addictions to feed, whether doctors will write them prescriptions or not. And that led to this gigantic boom in the the black market for opioids, including over-the-counter opioids, people you know getting a prescription and reselling. So after you know failing to get their prescriptions, people are turning to the illegal drug market to get their you know heroin, their third party you know not prescribed to them but sold to them by someone that it was prescribed to over the counter med- medications like oxycontin prescribed to them by a doctor and also fentanyl. So we have to talk about fentanyl in this conversation as well. So what exactly is fentanyl? I, I I'm not actually clear on that. So fentanyl is. A synthetic opioid. So most opioids are derived from the poppy plant. Your things like morphine, oxycontin, they're derived from uh, the poppy plant. They're extracted chemically and refined. And so some things like, you know, heroin 
is a hundred times more potent than morphine. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It's made entirely with chemicals. You don't need a base plant of opium, uh, of poppy, to make fentanyl. And fentanyl is over 1,000 times more potent than morphine. So what that means is it's very cheap to produce. It's, it's very easy to acquire or to produce in mass. And it's very, very deadly. A lot of drug dealers will cut their illegal drugs with fentanyl, including their cocaine, their heroin, even in some, in some cases uh, their marijuana um, with fentanyl, and get a huge return on their investment because the fentanyl was incredibly, incredibly cheap. It was invented by a drug chemist whose purpose was to make the lives of drug addicts uh, better. He wanted to make a chemical that uh, matched the same grouping that opioids have in the brain, but he he wanted to reduce the price so you know heroin addicts weren't robbing people for for their fix. Um, that that was essentially his goal was to uh, reduce the price of heroin so altruistic by introducing fentanyl. Well, so that went horribly wrong, and once once that cat is out of the bag, you can't get it back in. There, there's actually a huge growing list of popular musicians who have died from uh, cocaine that is laced with fentanyl. Really? Yeah, let me, let me see if I can find the list. That's a hell of a drug. <laughs> or you can just send it to me and I can fact check it. So, with these opioids, and I gotta say, I mean, I have, uh, I have explored some drugs in my day, and I have opioids have always terrified me to the point where I mean I've been hospitalized a few times and I get very very cautious about how much like they put me on morphine at certain intervals and I've always asked them to do whatever you would normally do and back it off just a little bit like I don't want to overindulge here (laughs) some of my favorite musicians and artists Andy Warhol, Lou Reed, and the Velvet Underground, John Cale, and Tom Waits, and like these guys are all very associated with more, with uh, heroin. The Wiggles. The Wiggles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this this Rolling Stone article is from 2018, but uh, the shortlist is uh, Prince, Tom Petty, uh, Jay Bennett. Three Doors Down guitarist Matt Roberts, uh, Slipknot bassist Paul Gray, rising rapper Lil Peep, among others. That sucks. Um, um, fent- fentanyl is killing yeah. people left and right, and and it is killing more people than... <laughs> and interestingly enough, that list was all also in order of how much I care about each of those artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love Prince, I really like Tom Petty, and then... I I don't have a problem with Three Doors Down, and no one's ever heard a little peep. I appreciate Prince, and I tolerate Tom Petty. So fentanyl is so concentrated that they're warning emergency medical staff to you know not t- 
touch anything with their hands because the amount that you get from contact on your skin can be enough to give you a lethal overdose. If you if you get some on your hands, make sure to lick it off before you move on to your next project. <laughs> oh, God. Just to, to take a little bit of a brighter side with the opium <laughs> epidemic, there's also been a, a fairly recent kind of, I don't want to call it a breakthrough, but a big improvement anyway with Narcan. Uh, being able to treat overdoses quickly and easily and af- relatively affordably. There is a company that's working on a much cheaper generic version of Narcan too, which would like make that even that's better. That's fantastic. Yeah, and so that's that's really exciting because at, at the very least, you know, if you know people or whatever, if you if if, if you know that that's something might be going on, it's like I guess you know, like bringing condoms to the orgy. I mean that's good. Like, yeah. No, that's a really bad. No, I mean, no, I think it's important to bring condoms to an orgy. It's more like bringing morning after pills to an orgy. No, that's that's what you bring to brunch the morning after the orgy. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, like it's it's not it it offers not only the ability to to treat an overdose should it happen as quickly as possible. But I think also it creates kind of like your in your Portugal example, it creates more opportunity for environments of safe use, right? You know, I know that like when when I this could sound really absolutely wild. When I used to trip back in college, we always made sure to have a, a sitter, someone who was not tripping, who was going to take care of us and make sure we didn't get into any trouble. You know, it's like responsible drug use, right? Why why didn't you just tie your shoelaces? Right. Imagine imagine you've got on the one hand this heroin that is coming off of the street. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's in it. You don't know the potency, you don't know the dosage, and it might contain fentanyl. And a lot of times, you know, you don't have clean needles, um, you don't have medical supervision, obviously, and you have this incredibly high mortality rate and all of this risk that's associated with your addiction. Now contrast that with a clean, supervised environment with safe, regulated drugs that you know the dosage of that's being administered in clean needles. I mean, it's it's night and day when you're talking about a harm reduction perspective. I couldn't Um, agree more. Now that's really politically difficult to to sell to people because um, of this hard on... We're so obsessed with punitive... Yeah, hard on, hard on crime. Imagine a politician today coming out and saying, like, you know, we, we need to decriminalize everything. And, oh, by the way, we're going to set up treatment clinics where we're going to provide clean, regulated heroin for addicts. There's actually a... Uh, there was a politician saying that four years ago... Gary Johnson? Right. How did he do? Presidential candidate? Oh, no. It, it completely... I mean, he got laughed at by both the right and the left. <laughs> and I think it's a damn shame because... Although I, I will say, I think even just in four years, I think a lot of people have changed and loosened up some views right. on a lot of things, including you know universal health care and and stuff i think uh but but also 
drug decriminalization in the last four years has taken some some really big steps forward. A lot of states, not uh, you know, legalizing to various extents or or decriminalizing and removing penalties. Right. And I think that there are progressives who have always believed in this stuff who are less willing to put up with the of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. So it's not necessarily like I think those people feel more comfortable coming out and discussing these things because like when Bernie ran in 2016 and did so well, it showed that there was a hunger for that and those people were out there. And I think you're going to keep on seeing those people come forward and like assert those things. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ron Paul has been pretty firmly on the legalize all drugs platform for for decades now, but he has always been a little outlandish in 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 uh, most people's views. So I I don't I don't think that the right or the left can really afford to give the talking point of being soft on crime or being soft on drugs. I th- I think we're in a situation where you're you're going to lose that election. Well, the right can. I think the left is in a position where they're They're starting starting to explain the hypocrisy built into some of these laws. And what you noticed is when during the Democratic debates, more than half the people on that stage were willing to decriminalize marijuana on a federal level. So I think you're starting to see that the party is moving towards like decriminalizing at least marijuana. But not the person who won the primary. Well, no. Well, but well, but we all have our problems with the person who won the primary. Yeah. But here's the thing about that is not only did most of the candidates take that position, but the ones who didn't got like for it. Yeah. Hung to dry, hung out to dry for him. Yeah. Um, Biden took a lot of flack for his position on marijuana. Um, I don't think it's so, I don't think it's negligible that the older population votes at a much higher rate than young people i don't think that Mm -hmm. it's a coincidence that the people who are hard on drugs are a part of the political establishment and continue to be reelected. i don't think that's an accident well no but now we're talking about election reform (laughs) it's all combined all right (laughs) i have two things i want to talk about before we're finished because i think we need to start coming in for a landing but I want to talk about with in terms of opioids, corporate greed. So Purdue Pharma, who created OxyContin, knew early on that this was an incredibly addictive drug, but released a um, report that said, and I quote, delayed absorption as provided by OxyContin tablets is believed to reduce the abuse liability of a drug. And that one sentence was the reason why doctors started prescribing it more than other drugs because it was thought to be less addictive. You have to understand that it is an incredibly powerful painkiller. At at reducing pain, it is incredibly effective. So, I mean, I don't I don't want to diminish that, but yeah, as far as the addictive potential. But after Purdue Pharma knew that this drug was being abused, what they did was instead of trying to limit its uh, limit its exposure to the public, they started making more of it, and they started encouraging doctors to prescribe it more. What they wanted to do is when they they wanted to take advantage, they essentially became drug dealers, like they became uh, for pleasure drug dealers, 
and they knew their product was killing people, and they did not give a Right, so, so ethically, you aren't supposed to, as a doctor, take any kind of, like, kickbacks for, you know, prescribing drugs. You're not supposed to accept any favors. You're not even supposed to accept, like, a free dinner. Um, right. But that is the ethical recommendation, and I don't think that that is a legal... I, Man, I, we I should really do that, shouldn't we? Make it a legal thing? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's a conflict of interest. Have we talked much about mandatory sentencing laws? I know we kind of got off of the, the justice system track. We haven't talked about them at all. Super tied in with the drug laws. Okay, so I think this is something to touch on, too. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it. But mandatory sentencing laws, meaning if someone is caught and is charged with or convicted of, I guess... Go ahead, cut to the chase. If a person is convicted of X crime, they have to serve a minimum of Y time in jail. Judges weren't able to use their own opinions on how they sentence anymore. They were required for X crime to give an X sentence. Right. So the worst of those is the three strikes laws in California. And I would love a fact check on this, but I think that those are gone now. Uh, You will get one. I hope hope those are gone. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. So no, California hasn't ended their three strikes law, but forget about California for a minute. The following states either have a three strikes law or a habitual felon statute that's even more severe. Some states have a two strikes law, for example. Anyway, New York, North Carolina, Maryland, Alabama, Delaware, Texas, Washington, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Kansas, Maryland, New Mexico, North Carolina, Virginia, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida, Montana, Nevada, New Jersey, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Utah, Georgia, Vermont, South Carolina, Arizona, and Massachusetts. Whew. This is not a small problem. There are statistics that show that crime goes down when states enact a three-strikes policy, but there are negative effects that go along with that, the most obvious of which is that judges have very little leeway, and we're talking about railroading sentences that send people to prison for the rest of their lives. Other side effects include overcrowding courts with people just trying to not go to prison for the rest of their lives, turning simple cases into incredibly high-stakes cases that take significantly longer to try. In addition, this also overcrowds jails because the defendants need to be kept somewhere while awaiting trial. Prosecutors also often use these laws to force defendants into investigating or testifying, often falsely, against friends and family to save themselves from a life sentence. There's also evidence that offenders who might commit smaller, non-violent offenses under a three-strike policy will instead commit larger crimes involving more risk, more violence, and more money to meet the severity of the punishment they face if they're caught. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. The the other thing, for the longest time, there was a huge difference between the sentencing guidelines on crack cocaine versus powdered cocaine. Powdered cocaine being what yeah. rich white Wall Street types did, and crack cocaine being the thing that was 
purposely released into the black community to destroy it. Mini fact check. You gotta be sick of fact checks at this point, right? I'm gonna make this one really simple for you. A journalist named Gary Webb, who worked for the San Jose Mercury News, wrote a series of articles called The Dark Alliance. They did a movie about him in 2014 called Kill the Messenger. You can look him up. You're going to go ahead and Google Gary Webb and find out more information. But while it sounds like a wild conspiracy theory that the CIA was trying to infiltrate the African-American community and destroy it with drugs, turns out, oh yeah, they... They super did it, and there's proof of it. So that's what you're going to go look for. Love you, bye. Mini fact check. Right, so the, there definitely is racism that is cooked into the differential sentencing between those two drugs. They, they are the same drug. Yeah, two different forms. One has baking soda in it. Basically, I mean, one is smoked, one is snorted. One, there's other differences and I think all of that is tied up with the racism of all of this came into be in the 70s and 80s after the Civil Rights Act acts were passed and Jim Crow laws were struck down and people couldn't discriminate and they couldn't isolate the white communities from the black communities on basis of skin color alone. So they had to start looking for other ways to do it. And one of the ways with the aid of the CIA was to basically enslave the lower-class black populations of major right. cities to drugs, specifically crack. I can't find anything that says that three-strikes laws are gone. I think three-strikes laws are still on the books and still being applied. You'll get your damn fact check, sir. So uh, there is definitely a racist implication to the inability of judges to, to use discretion in, in sentencing because that resulted in tons and tons and tons of black People going to jail way, way higher proportions than whites for, again, for nonviolent drug crimes. I just really quickly want to validate the other side of that argument with one example really quickly. Brock Turner, where the judge uses discretion and gives him a bullshit sentence. So just for the sake of kind of presenting both sides on that, the idea of minimum sentencing laws and stuff. Right. So so to give a little bit of background, that was about a high school student that was that was wealthy and was convicted of rape, but given like a, a very light sentence. Yeah. Well, so as not to interfere with yeah, the rest of yeah. his life. Yeah. What what what, I think the line was something like, oh, he's such a good, talented swimmer. Right, there, there was a lot of public outrage over this case. Yeah. He was also a very so, talented rapist. Yeah, so, well, not that talented. He had to, yeah. she had to be passed out behind a dumpster. <laughs> that um, was not a joke that you were supposed to take to the next level, Andy. That was supposed to be pretty awful when I said it, and then we were just supposed to drop it. But then no, you, then you screw went, that guy. Uh-uh. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I don't want to. I don't want to dance around anything about what he did. I want it right out in people's faces. That guy can rot in hell yeah. all the rest of his life and then rot in hell after. I He's the kind of person that makes me hope hell exists. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the, the judge was ousted by a vote. Good for him. He lost his job over the over the Brock Turner case. To be fair, that's, that's not really a drug thing. Um, well, that's, it's an exception to the rule, but how many issues do we come up against where racism 
is a key factor in why these things get so awful. Or, I mean, in the case of rape, sexism, uh, there's there's race all, like, built into that thing as well. But how many times do we deal with these issues, and it turns out that America sucks because we were a country built on racism? That's the thing. So, we're a democracy. The government is built by us, essentially. It's not... Something, when we talk about systemic racism, the system is something that we built, not us specifically, obviously. Yeah, but the royal we. You look back at, we talked about this, I think, last week, or I don't know, we talked about this recently, where um, really one of the strengths, the strength maybe, of the Constitution is its malleability. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't live in the present, we don't. We try to drag along the past or build for the future. And I don't think that we as a country have a very strong ability to just stop and take inventory of what's going, yeah. of what who we are right now. It's about who we were or who we wanted. This be. is what I kept on talking um, about with the healthcare debate, where we're built, the health, the healthcare system in this country is built on a rotten foundation. And I think a lot of the laws in this country are built on the rottenest of foundations. And we we need to fix that. Like, I think there's a lot of good ideas. And I think that the general idea of, of how America is run is a solid thing. But I don't think it would be a bad thing if we were to just sort of restart the Constitution from not like throw it out <laughs> and come up with something brand new, but just be like, all right. Let's call that 1.0. Let's start working on 1.2 here. Right, but there's and a like, lot of things in there that benefit the wealthy and benefit white people. And benefit, like, certain groups of people in this country that will make it always difficult to change. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of stuff that need to be revisited. We, You know what? We, t we, we used a couple weeks ago this bowling analogy... And I think what what has happened with America, I think, is it's sort of like there's one bumper up, which is protecting the like corporate corporations and companies and businesses and whatnot. And I I feel like the 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 people bumper never right. popped up really or has gotten smooshed down, and so the ball goes on into that gutter and just rolls over everybody. I think that's fair. I, I'm I'm sure that you mean well. I'm very very cautious. Whenever anybody says like let's let's start the constitution over, that I mean, <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. It's 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 an insane thing to say, and I I want to be clear that like if, if I were to say like redo it or something like the spirit of it in general, the democracy, the, the I, I love all that, but I mean, holy crap! Maybe we could bake in like non-corporate personhood and like campaign finance reform and like getting uh money out of politics and like having one man one vote like that so would the, be like, fine news, the good news for both of you is that andy in literally the sentence before he talked about this said the beauty of the u.s constitution is that it's malleable so we don't need to start it over again we can go ahead and edit it the problem is uh it takes a lot of political will to edit it and my thing is the people who are paid to edit it won't do so because the people who are benefiting the most from those are the ones paying for their campaigns for them to stay in office well, so that is going to be 
the election reform. Right, but <laughs> real real quick to just bring it into the station. Does, uh, does anyone have any closing thoughts that are specifically about, you know, drugs in this country? Well, here's one last thing I want to talk about before before we finish. It's not exactly closing thought, but let's go ahead and talk about the benefits of doing something like this. So you take Colorado, for instance, who have been in the weed game, the legal weed game, longer than anybody else. And as of last year, they passed $1 billion since uh, mid-2017 to mid-2019. They passed $1 billion in tax revenue for their legal weed. There has been no increase in youth using marijuana because it's their parents using it and now it's not sexy anymore. It's not like a thing that they're not allowed to do. So it hasn't increased at all amongst them. Money has been raised for schools. Crime has gone down. There's all these benefits that we're seeing to doing this. Mm -hmm. And so doing it on a national level would potentially be really good. It might be a good way to, I don't know, finance UBI, for example. So I'm, hes so I'm hesitant to criticize this because I, this is my pet project, and I am very passionate about uh, decriminalization and like taxation and uh, mm -hmm. you know, making it a, a revenue-positive resource. Um, I do want to say that um, I, I think that there has been an increase, incidentally, in petty crime that's associated with people who are not Colorado residents but are solely interested in the the legal marijuana that's there moving yeah. to Colorado and committing petty crimes while they're there. I'm in the well, the nice again the nice thing is we don't have to guess. I'll throw in a fact check here. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. I swear this is going to be my last fact check. I can't handle it anymore. It's too much. So the good news is marijuana arrests are down like 59% in Colorado. So that's great. But the numbers are confusing. Overall, crime seems to have stayed the same, although burglaries have gone up. There is a large transient population that comes into Colorado that things are being blamed on now. The frustrating thing is since legalization in 2012, violent crimes have gone up significantly. It is hotly debated why that is, and post hoc propter helicopter pop, I think that's how you say it. Anyway, one does not necessarily mean it's caused by the other. The interesting thing about those violent statistics going up in Colorado is in other states that have legalized marijuana, it's not true. Those states have either stayed the same or their violence has gone down. So it is confusing at best what's happening in Colorado right now. So the answer about Colorado crime is, I don't, I don't know. It's pretty much the same. Anyway, that's it. No more fact checks. Fact check, fact check, fact check. I do know I have read that there's a large homeless population that's moved to Colorado because they're interested in that. But I also think that gets fixed over time. This is one of the statistics that I don't care about so much because Colorado, because it was one of the first, is where it's all constant. That type of activity is concentrated. Right. Once it spreads out more and more, it's not as big of an issue. Like it will be 
a small issue in a bunch of places instead of a big issue in right. one place. I, I wanted to point that out, but I, I don't think that's an intrinsic problem with decriminalization. I think that's a problem with, as you said, decriminalization happening in one place. Like, look at the look at the mob activity yeah. that was surrounding gambling in Las Vegas when gambling in Las Vegas was the only legal gambling in the United States. Right. And you sort of touched on it earlier, but let's say we wanted to legalize all drugs. As soon as all drugs are legalized, you don't have to worry about people cutting their drugs with weird You know exactly what you're going to be getting. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I talk about edibles sometimes. In that, like, if you get an edible, so I should also say, I'm a weird guy to be talking about this because I have zero problem with people using drugs, but I don't do it. I've never done it. Never, never smoked weed, never uh, eaten a jazz cigarette or whatever, you know, (laughs) whatever the people do. I I think that's fine. Like, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, and I, right, and, uh, but I'm just saying, like, I still have opinions on it, but I haven't done it myself, but I also don't have any problem with other people doing it. You, you still have important opinions. You have equally valid opinions. Yes. So, so, can I say that, and I've seen memes about this that amuse me, um, about, like, oh, you know, being a 30 something year old means that you have teacher friends who do a ton of drugs on the weekend. <laughs> and, like, I, I'm someone who like like I, I mentioned before like I've, I, I've experimented pl- uh, with with recreational drugs. I've also tried to, I've had some um, a, a short foray with some drugs prescribed by a uh, psychiatrist. Um, and you know, <laughs> holy shit! I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Hold on. So here's the thing. Andy got pretty high before we started today. I did absolutely no such thing. So, Officer Roebuck. I would like to reference. I'm going to so, reference the sound after the credits. You today. mean the computer generated sound that we downloaded from the internet? So here's 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 a funny little anecdote. The the hardest um, partying people and the people that did the hardest drugs that I ever met that I ever knew and I ever partied with were cops. <laughs> cops nice. drank the most. They were like drinking energy drinks with alcohol. They were mixing all sorts of drugs and they were doing harder things than I ever imagined doing the stuff that I would never touch. And when, when we partied with the cops, uh, they, they went way harder in the paint than anybody else that I ever met. <laughs> I have zero trouble believing that. Okay, can I... What were you saying right before I jumped in? Uh, Teachers that got high on the weekends. Okay. What what were you saying, Staples? What was your thing about... I have to remember what I was going to say because it was important. Oh, oh, by the way, did did we mention that uh, marijuana inhibits short-term and long-term memory and can lead to problems with brain development? Uh, I don't remember. Did we? (laughs) (laughs) Um, especially Um, in people under 25 so if you're if you're under 25 uh you know i'm I'm not your i'm not your dad i was when i did most of my uh when i was really big um what what was i we don't know no you were you were saying something and that that's what sparked it so what were you saying I, I have a worse memory than you do on <laughs> your weed. That's concerning. 
That's why. I, that's why I was trying to get it well, out. Well, fair enough. I was, so I was talking about positive effects of drug use. So if you legalize oh, yeah. drugs, you get to control what is in them. You know exactly. I was talking about edibles and how like it's hard to determine like how how high you're going to get off this edible versus this edible. That's what I started getting okay. into. Well, I don't know. Dosing. My bad. All right. Well, good. I'm good sorry. podcast. <laughs> hey, let's, hey, guys. Let's, let's leave all of this in. You know what drug I love to take more than anything? Precious moments. Precious moments. That could have been anybody. All right. <laughs> uh, it was a sound clip. I, I'd like that Andy's been working on his glaucoma so fervently this episode. <laughs> It'll be a thing of the past soon. Um, so I have such a good one. I have such a good precious moment this week because I heard about in the news. I would love to hear it. I've got two of them, Did, so you go first. Okay. Did you hear about... This is not something that happened to me. It's just something I heard about in the news. Did you hear about the the women who robbed... I think it was a convenience store, might have been a drugstore, by coming in, acting like they had COVID-19, were coughing on people, robbed the place, and walked out. (laughs) That's pretty wild. I did not hear that. So so they, they held up a store with the weapon of virus, and they got super arrested and are, like, definitely... <laughs> very vulnerable to being charged with like assault with a nice. deadly weapon. Right. Is super arrested more than so, regular arrested? <laughs> they got yes, double arrested. They hand they handcuffed and foot cuffed them. <laughs> they, they handcuffed them once, then unhandcuffed them for like three seconds, and then handcuffed them again. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. I have, like I said, I have two of them. So we have talked about this in private. I do not think that the show Tiger King is a good or important show, but I do like it because it is a cultural (laughs) touchstone for all of us. I think, I feel like when I was young, everybody watched the same because it was the only thing on. Like, everybody knew what had happened on Knight Rider because you had, like, three channels. And so nobody, like, nobody was watching anything else. Now you have so many different shows, uh, like, on at different times. I always get excited. Like, I liked uh, Game of Thrones at first, not so much because I liked the show, but because everybody was watching it. And it's something that you could find a common ground on with so many people. It really wasn't very good until the last season where it really picked up. So good, season eight. Rip. I, I was a huge fan. It was, it was not. It was very, very bad in season eight. But, so the thing is, the thing that it, Tiger King did not need that it's going to get is a TV show. Not It already is a TV show. It's it's a documentary. It's, like, you can't not a movie. make a TV show about a TV show. That's ridiculous. This is what I'm saying. It did not need it. It's a documentary. <laughs> Although, it's going to happen. And who is going to play Joe Exotic... Who else, in retrospect, could possibly play Joe Exotic than Mr. Nicolas Cage? He's too tall. Nicolas Cage but is too tall. He's over weird. He's more than weird enough. It is going to be just mwah, 
a wonderful enough. train wreck. Oh, he's going to be good. The thing is, I don't know that he's going to be able to pull it off because <laughs> I'm not going to see Joe Exotic on the screen. I'm going to see that's Nick Cage in like a leopard vest or whatever. Like that is not going to work at all. So I'm very excited about it, though, because it's going to be, again, a beautiful train wreck. Uh, that is so wildly unnecessary. Oh yes, absolutely. I I fully agree with that thing you just said, but it doesn't mean that I'm not excited to watch it. Uh, I've been watching the other thing. I've been watching, uh, rewatching lately. I think this is my third watch through. Is Community because they've added it to Netflix, and that show is so good. But there's an episode in the worst season of yes. the show when oh, Don, yeah. Dan Harmon was not running it that I still love. Where Abed takes a Nicolas Cage good or bad class and goes crazy trying to watch all the Nick Cage m- movies and trying to figure out if he's good or bad or not. And I love it because you can't get a grip on this guy. You don't know what he's like. So I'm very excited to see the show. Um, so my other thing uh, that I wanted to talk about is f- these people so hard who are going out and protesting who are going out and they think it's appropriate to take their guns with them when they go protest. And again, I don't have a problem with responsible gun owners, but responsible gun owners don't take their guns to the U.S. Capitol. They don't take their guns out and try and scare little kids and families into doing what they well, want them to do. you're talking about public it's, spaces where no. they're legally allowed to do that. If you're allowed to open carry, you can open oh, carry. Oh, but it's not responsible. There's a difference. There's a difference between being responsible I, and not doing something illegal. I can come up with a few right now. There's all kinds of Ill, irresponsible things you can do that aren't illegal. They are not. It's not a good idea. <laughs> there was another thing, and uh, I will go ahead and link this story in the doobly doo. Of I was telling you guys about it earlier. A bar had decided to remain open, and the bartender or the owner of the bar decided to have a bunch of her friends uh, with open carries try and intimidate the police officers who came in and tried to shut the bar down again. Uh, That bar owner got arrested, and good thing, too. But my precious moment for this is that people, these guys, like, show up with their guns, and they try and look all badass, and they hold their guns out in public and everything, and people on Reddit have started photoshopping dildos in place of these people's guns. Oh, yeah. It's so it's just a bunch of, like, really tough-looking guys holding, like, giant rainbow dildos in these photos. And I love it so much. It's so good. So I will I will try and link a couple of those uh, in the doobly-doo as well. But that made me very, very happy. It takes a little bit of wind out of their sails. I'm sure they don't care, but I care very much. Because they're idiots. Did you hear about the the family who, like, shot the security guard? Yeah, he was trying to enforce uh, them to wear their masks. And they yeah. thought it was appropriate because they were being disrespected to kill him. You know the, um... By, to shoot him to death. You know, uh, <laughs> and the, the crazy thing, really quick, the crazy thing about that story is the woman who killed him, the mom who killed him, Thought she was still in the right. When she was arrested, she said, but he disrespected me. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. So that's a responsible gun owner. This is American terrorism. I feel like that's a that's an episode right there. Domestic terrorism. Yep. Oof, that's depressing. Well, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how precious this is. Cheer us up. 
But I was watching a documentary the other day that was about the the Unabomber. And uh, it was very interesting uh, in kind of a morbid way. I guess I... Turned out he was in crocheting. Uh, no, he was, this, he was this really weird guy, but it was, it was very, very difficult to catch him because uh, he was basically living out in the wilderness in a shack mm-hmm. and using like very primitive bomb technology and uh, figuring out things as he went. Um, no, no internet, no phone... Um, and just very meticulous about, like, leaving DNA and, like, hair follicles and stuff, and, uh... Yeah, how wild is that? Like, because the thing is, about bomb makers in general, as far as I understand, if you don't know what you're doing, and you're not very careful, uh, you don't tend to have a very long career as a bomb maker. You tend to have a blown-up shack in the middle of the woods. Right. And he was able to, like, he was able to get it done. Right. Would and you say that a bomb maker's career is either explosive or explosive? <laughs> nope. No one would say that. Nope. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> you do not I get any credit you. for that. It's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh. it, maybe not that precious, but uh, I do highly recommend. Uh, it was, um, I believe, Ted Kaczynski in his own words on Netflix. Um, and it was quite good. Nice. So. Um, I, oh, there's another. Um, I, I was extremely young when all of this stuff was going on, so I like I asked you know my my mom about it because she was alive. Well, not alive, but like you know, I I was also alive, but I don't remember <laughs> many of us I were. I don't remember any of that stuff going on because you know I was a little kid. You know, I wasn't like glued to the news watching coverage about the the Unabomber. But, um, you know, she, she described it as kind of like, well, you know, yeah, it could happen to anyone, but you also have to, like, live your life, you know? They, they weren't doing anything about, like, packages other than, like, you know, they were bringing bomb-sniffing dogs into the distribution centers. Right. But, you know, if you got a package... It's not like you automatically assumed that it was going to be a bomb. They were so rare and they were such isolated cases. It did happen many times and it happened over the course of many years. But you can't you can't live your life just in complete fear of that any package you open is going to be a bomb. You, at, Absolutely. And for a long time, there was anthrax right. being sent. Right, and that was more recent. I and it was the I remember same that because I, I was more than like four years old when that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Robin Williams did a bit about that, or Keith Richards would get some and sniff it to find out what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is cocaine, uh, another right? documentary, another uh, Netflix documentary. I would highly uh, suggest is uh, the documentary I Really Need to Come Up With a Catchphrase. It is really good. Something to think about. Right. I love things to think about, and I hope that we gave you one of those things. Good outro, guys. All right. Love you. Bye. <laughs> you messed me up, man. I messed you up. No. Bye. Him. Okay. All right. Bye. Deuces. Andy and his poor asthma. <laughs> 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 <laughs>